Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams and Tea Podcast. Now, where we talk about the goings-on in the world of music, what we've been listening to this week, and various topics that we choose from every single week. Absolutely. And we are very excited to talk about what's been happening and also to talk about our main topic of discussion today, which is our favorite movie soundtracks. Not scores, soundtracks. Uh, we will talk about film scores, I'm sure, in a subsequent uh-huh. um, now episode. Um, but we figured it's a this would be a fun exercise to do. It's been a lot of fun coming up with new topics for this series every week. And so we're going to each talk about two of our favorite um, movie soundtracks, what they mean to us, what they kind of say about you know what we look for in love and art both in music and film and it'll be a nice little kind of personal biographical exercise i imagine as well so that's stick around for that in the latter half of this episode um, but before we get to that let's talk about the goings on and what's been new in the world of music nothing in terms of album announcements i don't think there were any things that caught my eye this week in terms of album announcements but there were a few interesting things in the news as well um there is a new Beach House EP on the way. It's going to be dropping on Record mm-hmm. Club Record Store Day in April. Uh, leftovers from Once Twice Melody. So I'll be looking forward to that. Uh, the biggest news item of the week. Again, it was a pretty slow week. Well, obviously there was the uh, Rihanna and the Super Bowl. Uh, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't imagine any of us would have any substantive commentary on that. It was a performance that she did. It was a moment, you know, culturally speaking. But pregnant. People said it was people said it was like bad or something and i watched it was, it was underwhelming like, okay. because she did wasn't all that animated in her performance and then people learned it was because she was pregnant with her second child and that became a whole thing um to me like i don't the i don't find this all that interesting and that's purely because there's no nothing musical happening in association with this we're still waiting for a new rihanna album uh what's been what i've heard from from rihanna's camp is that the album is uh it's not very far along and what we'll waiting. what was the last rihanna album was it anti yeah anti in 2016 jesus um, which has had an interesting shelf life in the sense that i thought that album was very underwhelming when it came out uh and but it seems to i, I guess in the lack of any subsequent music from rihanna it seems to have kind of been reassessed as this sort of minor masterpiece from her because i guess there's just very little music that's come out of her camp look there's some good songs on it um kiss it better is a great song but it's just i don't i've never gotten the legacy that that I, album is kind of built i, I up. think that it was seen as a, at the time anyway kind of a pioneer for the sort of wave of like you know pop music that's actually really sad tm that sort of like was ushered in by people like lord and stuff at the time and this is sort of like a precursor to that i guess yeah possibly i mean it certainly is an influential album i mean it certainly has had an influence on artists like scissor for instance who we talked about fairly recently so yeah but i would love a new reality album it seems to be that Either she recorded a record or was working on a record, then scrapped it. Um, the latest news that I have is that the album is still kind of being recorded or being created. Um, she's been very elusive with any kind of details. I don't expect that we'll get a Rihanna record this year. Although the Super Bowl performance is, you know, it's fascinating that she's chosen to perform this year. Um, not, I mean, perhaps it was all to kind of hype up herself and her pregnancy announcement. Although, you know, it's interesting that she's had, you know, pretty critical comments to say about you know the nfl and and you know the, you're gonna say it's pretty interesting that she has children 
No, no. Well, she's had some, you know, pretty harsh comments towards the NFL and their kind of tired political history recently. So there's a lot of, you know, like, oh, it's interesting that she's suddenly changed her mind and decided to perform. I don't want to uh, sociologically analyze that. I don't care. Uh, I think it's cool that she's, you know, out there creatively doing stuff. But I wonder what this is, if this is all leading to anything or if it is just. What is she cooking? What is she cooking? Exactly. What is she building in there? Is the real question. A baby. <laughs> I think that's going to be it for a yeah. while. Yeah. Yeah. She's mother. Literally. It's so funny seeing uh, the, the you know, the, the conservative commentary on this and people being like, oh, ASAP Rocky has been demasculinized because he's carrying her baby in the Fellas, Chris is photo. it gay to fuck Rihanna twice? Is it gay to... <laughs> it's been a to couple sh- more times than that, too. Is it, Probably. Is it, is it gay? Yeah. Anyway, so that was funny. Uh, to me, the, the the news item that I found the most amusing this week, although it was less a news item than kind of an ongoing <laughs> one-sided beef, is that um, Ray, uh, excuse me, not Ray, Dave Davies of the Kinks has <laughs> got some feelings about Elon Musk, uh, stemming in large part from the fact that every, because okay, the Kinks are now active. They haven't put music out uh, since, I think, the 90s, the early 90s. And they've kind of been teasing that they're working on new music together and they're kind of re-gearing to, you know, have a little bit of a comeback or whatever. Or They've kind of sort of already started that. Um, They're celebrating their 60th anniversary as a band this year, which is the biggest thing that um, Dave has been tweeting about a lot. Um, Obviously, the Kinks are one of the most influential rock and roll bands of all time. You know, and and, if you're we're being frank, they're probably as influential as bands like the Beatles or Rolling Stones and the Beach Boys uh, if slightly less discussed. And we will be discussing them in a record club very soon. Hmm. So, yeah. So Dave is very active on Twitter and he's been sort of hyping himself up, hyping the band up with, you know, and he's earned it. You know, the Kinks are living legends. And but he's been quite cross this week because uh, Elon Musk's Twitter has seen fit to uh, issue a content warning on basically every tweet that the Kinks post, ostensibly because of the word Kinks. <laughs> And that Musk's algorithm, I suppose, perceives that as being, you know, promiscuous in nature. And Dave is, you know, taken to his Twitter to clarify, you know, we called ourselves the kinks because we saw ourselves as outsiders who are kind of, you know, like, you know, putting a kink in the armor of, that's not how the phrase goes, but, or what he said, (laughs) you know, who, who were kind of, you know, rebelling against the, you know, the straight and narrow of the, you know, the, the normal you know what was expected of of uh, vegetarianism. Yeah, so that king of... is also just a word that has more than one meaning. Yeah, but not according to Elon Musk's Twitter. According to Elon Musk's Twitter, if you're using the word kink or its plural in a tweet, you are a harlot who is promoting <laughs> inappropriate content. And um, so yeah, Dave Davies. The flag is just the scarlet letter. I mean, let, let's be real. <laughs> Who doesn't have beef with Elon Musk these days? Yeah, but I mean, like, it's just it's just I got it, I got beef with that motherfucker. I, I I'm writing a diss track. Yeah, but of course, it's just the sort of thing it's that year. you know you don't expect. I mean, I I got really sad this week that that David Crosby wasn't around to comment on this because I'm sure he would have. <laughs> um, yeah, and so yeah, so that Old that happened this heaven. week. And, you know, it was a thing that happened one day, but it's like actually kind of been quite persistent. I mean, for like three or four days now, time of recording, mm-hmm. Dave has been tweeting about this 
again and again and again and kind of making his point about how you know uh the kinks will not be silenced my Which favorite I... response to this is that the ba- a band we've covered in the past quote tweeted him with, with the uh sentence imagine how we feel the band being fucked up yeah who also you know had a new album out a couple of weeks ago as well so you know it's a hard time yeah, but fuck them it's a <laughs> It's a hard time in our speaking of people I got beef with. I was gonna say speaking of people we have beef with. Yeah, many of our listeners won't know that Morgan has been directly dissed by the front man of fucked up, which is my favorite thing that's maybe ever happened in terms of Mm -hmm. um encounters with musicians. You know, this legendary Canadian rock band who've been around for like 15 years now and said, you know, this fucking guy on the internet did a Borat impersonation of me. (laughs) oh man it's for anyone who doesn't know that it's kind of hard to explain but it happened it's a thing that happened so you know you fucking loser justice for the kinks justice for ray and dave davies uh hopefully we get some new music from them and hopefully elon musk's twitter stops silencing our great artists elon's Uh, america exactly uh, slightly less kind of eventful, but seems relevant to the interest of this podcast. Uh, Amanda Shires and Jason Isbell performed on Fallon this week, performed a song off of her recent album, which I think is called Take It Like a Man. Take It Like a Man. I was going to say Walk Like a Man, but that's a Sopranos episode. Uh, yeah, Take uh, It Like a Man. And uh, I watched their performance as well. It was really, really just, they're great musicians. It was great to see them together. Um, it was just awesome to see uh, Isabel up there on stage, not being the center of attention and just purely, you know, playing second fiddle, no pun intended to his literal fiddle playing wife. Um, yeah. um, uh, and it was, it was funny because like all of the band were dressed like, um, you know, like uh, late eighties sort of vampires, like, you know, Catherine Bigelow's near dark sort of aesthetic. It was a really funny. Um, oh, okay. Did you say Catherine Bigelow? Bigelow? <laughs> I did it. I'll do it again. Um, <laughs> I'll fucking again. do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was just a really funny thing, uh, a real cool, awesome thing that happened um, to see Shires on Fallon. Um, yeah. So check that out if you don't. It's a great performance. Um, more music. Where, is the, the, where is the new album, Jason? I mean, give it, give it to me. Yeah, I mean, not that we're, not that we're, you know, this was all about Anna Man Shars, not not Jason Isbell. That's well, Miss. Well, she Shires gave us a new album, yeah. So we, we don't didn't review her about anything. We're and she misogynist. features on all of Jason's stuff, like in the last. Anyway, moving swiftly along. Uh, new singles this week. Uh, a couple of new singles I want to shout out. Um, there was one new song from Shushu from their upcoming album, Ignore Grief, called mm. Harump that I listened to this week. Uh, very atmospheric, abstract, bit of free jazz, very akin it's to cool. early Shushu stuff. Uh, seems like their new album might be, I mean, compared to their more recent stuff, which has been a little bit more song based, the new album might be a return to some of the more abstract stuff. Really curious to see how that turns out. And the other the song album was wanted... really song based. It was. It was. It was literally. <laughs> I, I know it's just funny that you have to qualify that. <laughs> um, the other single that came out this week that I want to mention, um, and I'll, I've not been looking forward to mentioning this because oh. I've just not been looking forward to your response to my feelings here. Oh, um, but oh heavens! Lana Del Jesus. Rey put a new song out this week called A and W. Oh no, it's good. 
You like it? Have you you've heard it? Yeah, I oh, I shit. liked it, and I'm a Norman fucking Rockwell hater. I, I was coming album, in but... here. I was coming in here fully fully expecting first of all to be the only person who who gave enough of a shit to check it out, but also I was getting ready to do my like very muted defense of the song because i'm terrified no, of overhyping I, I, it i heard a friend of the podcast uh coffee talking about it and just from what he was saying i was just like really is this is this really what worthwhile f- and what a f- I, love, I wonder how friend of the podcast coffee sounds to anyone who doesn't know us <laughs> well i'm not gonna call him by his actual name because i don't I know, know if but people like to reveal that to us um anyway yeah so new new lana del rey song a and w it's this first of all it's the most I've liked anything Jack Antonoff has produced in a good while. Oh, um, it sounds great. It's this, great. you know, it's got this real sort of kind of cavernous depth to its production. And it starts in this very sort of atmospheric sort of eerie place that reminded me of some of the, you know, the stranger moments in some of her more esoteric music. Actually reminded me a little bit of, you know, I know it's not a great album or even a very good album, but um, it reminded me a little bit of some of the aesthetics of Ultraviolence, which is an album mm. that, I like parts of. I think that album is slightly overhated. I um, I don't like Lana Del Rey, but I certainly don't hate her. I don't have enough feelings to like tremendously dislike anything she's done. She's got good songs. But anyway, it starts in this very sort of not just for real. Got a song space. called Paris, Texas on this album. Yeah, is that? I'll get. Oh, I'm going to get to the album in a second. It starts in this very eerie space, and it becomes this sort of slinky kind of trap pop uh nocturnal sort of melodrama but on a really bad trip sort of feel that um I... it's like that song on the new ethel kane album the oh, the fucking yeah. you know what uh, i'm talking about uh the, the the one really fucked up song where she sings about fucking people that one yeah is it gibson girl or is it a different one? gibson girl yeah that's yeah. it that's the one yeah yeah i got that vibe very much and um you know and and it made me interested in the new Lana Del Rey album. Maybe we should talk about it when it comes out. Look it up. I'm down. 80 minutes long. <laughs> Fuck. God damn it, Lana. Uh, but hey, look, I'm I you know I'm gonna listen to it. So uh which is you know, I haven't listened mm. to her last two records, they just haven't interested me. But this seems singles as, are boring as shit. It seems as though you know Lana's approaching this with a little bit more of a kind of you know creative verve than maybe she had on her last two projects. So I'm just in checking it out. There's some cool collaborations on this record as well. It has if some people of most... think it's good, I'm open to it. But if it's another like oh ho ho, no. Well, yeah, we'll see how it comes out. Whether I, whether or not we think it would be suited to a full formal review on this podcast, yeah. which I'm sure would just be you and me, Jake. But mm-hmm. you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, look, it has some interesting features on it. Uh, Father John Misty's on it. Bleachers is on it. The the kind of internet rap artist Tommy Genesis, who I'm pretty sure I only know from collaborations with Charlie XCX, is on here, which is fascinating. Uh, it also has some of the most Lana Del Rey song titles that I've ever heard. I mean, the album itself is called Did You Know That There's a Tunnel Under Ocean Boulevard? Um, which, you know, is a thing you could call your album. Um, I'm, I'm actually not sure. a, I actually don't mind when artists name their album sentences. It's just different. Um, well, but, I mean, I mind it when they name them like gay sentences like that. There's a song in here called Grandfather, Please Stand on the Shoulders of My Father While He's Deep Sea Fishing. Shut up. Fiona Apple. Um, <laughs> but look, I look, it's it's a 16 song, 80 minute album. I am going to check it out. I am looking forward to it. It's 
you know, it, it, it might be. I hope it is interesting. That is all. It is I, funny, though, that she's got Father John Misty on this album, because didn't she have a song shit talking that man on Norman fucking Rockwell? I don't know if it was him. I feel like that he's written for her before. But oh, I don't know. I don't remember. People talked about it like they, they might have like uh, hooked up or something. And she wrote a song about him. This, I don't remember. What that this was, feels but... like the kind of thing people would just make up because they want to believe it's true. That's um, very possible. Manufactured beef. Look, say what you will about Lana Del Rey. I do think, and I've always thought that she is an artist who genuinely views the music she makes through a creative lens. I don't think, I think of her as someone who makes music cynically. Sometimes her music can sound no. cynical when she's in a particularly dour mood, but I think she's an artist who who views herself as an artist and tries very, very, with a lot of purpose and passion to make art. So I want to give the new album a decent chance. I think that at the very least, it could make for a really, really interesting conversation. So yeah, mm. but A&W really enjoyed this new song. It's it's eerie, it's moody. It does a lot of things that are feel genuinely new for lana and i like her vocal performance on it as well lyrically i think it's pretty yeah, good too good. there's some lines i think that are really strong on it yeah we'll see what happens with with the upcoming lizzie grant album to move into some some sad news now uh, i wait eagerly for the week where we don't have to do for any week where we God, don't have to do really in memoriam segments and i also you know <laughs> It feels as though each one of these we do is more painful in some ways than the last. This is certainly the mm -hmm. most painful for me uh, because this week we we lost the great True Goy the Dove, David Julicur, uh, one of way the too young, way founding, way too young, one of the founding members of the legendary rap group De La Soul. Uh, we talked about their you know divisive and exciting and, and, and innovative album De La Soul is Dead in our 1991 retrospective we've also you know I'm sure we've talked about in fits and starts we've talked about their debut album Three Feet High in writing as well which is very you know which is a classic De La Soul are in a lot of ways of course not the not the first great hip-hop trio but they feel like one of the most definitive hip-hop trios as well especially coming into view at the late 80s innovating so much in terms of the production of their records as well, their collaborations with Prince Paul, but also, you know, they're producers in and of themselves. Uh, Trugoy is a producer and a rapper, or was a producer and a rapper as well, and such a, a core part of their identity. Um, and throughout the 90s and throughout their later period records as well, which, you know, the, the thing that people were commenting on as well around this, the thing that kind of made it feel doubly tragic is that, you know, after going through a lot of, you know, terrible record label bullshit for years and years and years de la soul finally um agreed to uh or finally came to an agreement with um their label or with their former label to have their albums put on streaming uh which they haven't been for the most most of them haven't been on streaming anyway. i think their mm -hmm. last album was on streaming but their early classic records their 90s records have not been on streaming and that is happening in a couple of weeks time i think they're all going up in early march and it's, you know, it's tragic that, that True Goy won't be around to see that as well. Um, De La Soul were one of the bands that were that were paid tribute to at the Grammys uh, last week as well in the big sort of extravagant hip-hop throwback sort of anniversary of hip-hop sort of thing that they did at the Grammys last week. And De La Soul were one of the bands that were, you know, tributed at that show. And, you know, I, I believe, like, I think, I don't remember if, if the other members of the band were there, but of, of course True wasn't. Um, anyway... Yeah, it's just a, it's a it's a staggering loss. It's just heartbreaking. 
uh, again, such a fixture of hip-hop, classic hip-hop, of all of hip-hop as well. And of course, every member of that trio is so integral to all of their music and so into everything that they did. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's really, it's really gutting. It's really gutting as well, especially to be losing artists like this who should not be going this young. You know, Morgan, I think when this happens, you commented as well about how, you know, what a an ugly reminder it is of, you know, the 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 rea brutal reality of the reduced life expectancy that black men have in America as well. Like, what can you say? It's just, it's awful. <laughs> it's I really mean, between, it, between losing him seems... and MF Doom in this decade, like, it, it, there's just a long shadow hanging over these past couple of years. Not to mention the guys that don't really like come across our radar, but it feels like every other week, I feel like some 22 year old rapper has just died. Mm. Yep. Like, yeah. it's awful shit. Yeah. So, look, take this as an opportunity to listen to their music. Um, Obviously, it's, when it's all going to come to streaming as well, that'll be e easier than it ever has before. Uh, when that happens as well, we'll be sure to um, talk about it on one of these now episodes, make sure we highlight it as well. It will be a great opportunity. I look forward to using that as an excuse to uh, listen to some of their later records as well and revisit my favorite ones. Well, moving on, um, a couple of days ago, in our last video on this channel, we talked about the new albums from Paramore and Yola Tingo two records that were very easy for us to choose to talk about because there are two bands that mean a lot to us but there were a lot of albums a lot of great albums that came out on the same day or around the same time as well that i want to just talk about really briefly there was a new album from kalila you know, legendary um, british r&b soul artist who made huge waves with her eps in the early 2010s and then with her fantastic debut record 2017's take me apart one of my favorite albums of that year uh after a you know a record which came out around the same time as the last Paramore album, uh, you know. Jesus. And so it's been a long time waiting for new music from Kalila, uh, but we finally got it uh, last week. Her new album, Raven, which is a beautiful record. It is extremely gorgeous, sort of dovetailing into this incredibly atmospheric and sort of hypnagogic sort of post R&B space. If I can say those words without sounding like a pretentious hipster. Um, it's a gorgeous album. The production is, is lush beyond words. It is heavily atmospheric and is less focused on the house beats and the propulsion that made Take Me Apart feel a little bit more immediate. I definitely prefer that album. This album is a little bit more of a mood record a little bit more of a something that you just kind of put on and, and let wash over you i don't mean that in a in a negative sense but it's certainly something that didn't leave the same impression on me personally but a lot of people have loved this album it's been very well praised for good reason it has great songs on it enough for love is great happy ending is great contact is the song that i really like as well um raven the the title track bruises a lot of really good songs on it it is just a record that i think um, may not be for everyone just for how purely atmospheric it is but Kalila's voice is always amazing she's a, an outstanding presence and it is a record that is worth hearing as well she's one of the obviously one of the most interesting and one of the most culturally relevant and exciting artists on the warp label at the moment so it's just always a treasure and a treat when we get new music from her the other sort of major R&B adjacent release that came out uh, last week is an album from an artist that I wasn't actually familiar with before uh, this week. I learned about them purely through the hype that this new album was um, generating. Um, I guess you would typically maybe describe her music more as psychedelic neo-soul than R&B, but the artist is Liv E, that is Liv period E, 
and she has a new album out uh, called Girl in the Half Pearl. It is, you know, similarly, it's a sort of atmospheric and exploratory vibe. It explores a lot of darker themes for this artist from what I can gather, although I haven't heard her previous material. But I was really captivated by this. I enjoyed this more than I was expecting to, especially after being let down a little bit um, by the Kalila album. I thought there's so much that's going into this record production-wise. Aesthetically, she's pulling from jazz She's pulling from jazz. She's pulling from um, different forms of psychedelic music. She's pulling from jungle music, house music, all these different kinds of things. It is a very eclectic album. It is a very messy album, quite by design as well. Lots of really short tracks. Has this collage feel, the sort of album you just put on and let it kind of run through rather than sort of picking apart what's going on from moment to moment. But there are great songs on it. Wild Animals is a fantastic song. Uh, Lake Silas Sybin's a fantastic song. Find Out's a fantastic song. Reset's a great song. Um... It has a little bit of a flying lotus vibe, and I think in the way that it moves and the way that it progresses. And I found it to be really, really captivating and really, really intriguing. I don't think it's a fully great album per se, but there is just so much that's going on from moment to moment that where she's pulling from different points of reference and doing different things and conveying this mood of, I guess, sort of darkness and grief in a way that feels distinct and memorable. So I really enjoyed listening to this record. I'm probably going to go back and listen to it a few more times, put it on while I am working because I found it to be really interesting and really intriguing. And, you know, it, it got, uh, it's getting a really, really good reception. Um, both it and the Kalila album got our best new music from Pitchfork this week as well, which was, you know, great to see these artists getting that kind of recognition, but particularly Liv E because obviously she's more of an underground artist. So yeah, if, if any of the ways I've described this sound intriguing to you, check it out. I think that it's one of the most creative and original sounding albums that I've heard this year so far. Um, and the last thing I want to mention is the an album that is kind of conspicuous in its absence from a review lineup because it's a huge album getting a lot of attention lately and maybe we will talk about it next week our lineup for next week's reviews is not set in stone yet but i want to mention it very quickly very briefly the new album from the great caroline polachek formerly of the fantastic indie pop band cheerlift uh, since become a solo artist in her own right with 2019's Pang, which was a great set of really immediate and really hooky pop songs that I really, really loved. She's back this year with her second solo album. It is called Desire, I Want to Turn Into You. Uh, it's an interesting new direction for Carolyn. The production value of the record is massive. Obviously, a lot of money has gone into it. It's very eclectic sounding. Uh, it's being warmly received and widely regarded by basically everyone. And I don't quite get it. I'm not quite on board with it. I haven't quite seen the vision with it yet. I think there are a few really good songs on it, especially the first four songs. But the whole thing has kind of left me feeling a little bit like it's missing the impact and the hooks and the simplicity that I liked in Pang. But that said, it is absolutely a more ambitious record. It's a record that does more unusual things with its song structures and incorporates more unusual instrumentation. So it's obviously a record that I think commands respect and shows that Carolyn is developing as an artist and basically everyone loves this but me. So it's probably likely that you will too and maybe it'll grow on me. But I'm in a weird place where I don't quite 
get it yet. And I am curious whether there's anyone out there listening or watching at home who's feeling the same way with this. It's a strange album that I haven't quite got my head around yet. Uh, if that changes or if uh, either Jake or Morgan or anyone uh, who's on the show with us feels strongly about it, I'm definitely open to us um, talking about it. But It feels like it's, it would be weird no matter what for us not to cover this, especially since we have a, is that a fucking Skrillex album that I see in what? its place? Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna mention that with you guys. Apparently, the new Skrillex album's pretty good. So I don't give a shit. I'm not listening to a Skrillex album. I, I look, I just that would be a funny artist for us. To oh, nine one one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think we should review the new Skrillex album, no matter how good it is, because I think it's the idea of us talking about Skrillex is really funny. Hey. You um, know, I, I can't say I'm not curious. I, I will also be listening to this because I, I, I like Pang a lot. It's pretty cool. I, I, I remember listening to that in the sort of, you know, the December-ish where we didn't have any uh, venues to talk about the new music we listened to just because we were doing our end of the year stuff. But I remember thinking that that was a really solid album with a really great sound and lots of really great individual songs. And I was just like, this feels less like an album and more like a bedrock for her to do more interesting things with mm. her sound. So well, I'm hoping that that's what this next album is. I think she's definitely like inarguably doing more interesting things with her sound. It's just a matter of me not quite getting the gist of it yet. It almost feels like a purposeful decision to kind of abandon, not completely abandon, but for the for the most part, sort of not as much focus on the hooks that that album has. A lot of people have compared her progression, have compared her progression to Kate Bush. And I was going to say, this, this sounds feels like the, a dr- bit, the dreaming. Yeah, it feels a little bit like that. And which is even more frustrating for me because the dreaming is my you love favorite. that album. It's my favorite Kate Bush album. Um, so I'm just not quite seeing it yet. And maybe that'll change. Um, Welcome to My Island is great. Billions is pretty good. Pretty Impossible is good. I'm waiting for the rest to land for me. We'll see if it happens um so yeah watch this space we'll either be reviewing it or we won't be <laughs> but i still think we should talk about skrillex because that's that's just a i'm not opposed to, to either i'm not opposed <laughs> to either. two of you can talk about skrillex i only have so much time on this earth that's fair it's absolutely fair hey look i mean you've got to give it a chance man like missy elliott's on that Ooh, album who's making me who's making me give it a chance why do i have to give it a chance <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do anything my man i'm just saying <laughs> i kind of I want you to I, I want you to to have to but i can't make just, you... just like the picture in my head mentally of like morgan laying down in his bed staring at the ceiling skrillex blasting at his headphones is fucking hysterical can i just say that the album cover no. for this new skrillex album sick as fuck it's just really Wait, really good it's it's a really shit. cool ass album cover. Skrillex. This is the album's does called... he even have many albums? No. The album's called Quest uh. for Fire. This is basically a comeback record. Oh, um okay. and Morgan, you'll oh, be pleased to hear yeah, that's that. Cool. You'll be Morgan, you'll be pleased to hear that he's actually putting out two albums this year. <laughs> oh. There isn't gonna be a double album, but he's a Oh wow, this... Fortet is on here? Cool. Yeah. A lot of collaborators. I mean, if there would have to Porter be Porter Robinson? What yeah. the shit? Okay. What? A lot of collaborators right. because Skrillex is not the kind of person who can hold up an album on his own. And he knows that. Mm. Um, but I think that no. Skrillex is a fascinating artifact. And I'm curious to see how he's evolved. 
Well, before we move on to our main topic of discussion today, I want to check in and see, Jake Morgan, if there's been anything you guys have been listening to this week that you want to shout out, anything that stuck out to you? Well, I, I have really one umbrella thing that I want to talk about. But before I mention that in way of new releases, I have heard something that I have talked about on this podcast before uh, looking forward to at the very beginning of this year, I talked about uh, getting into the music of uh, a band called The Serpent Column. Uh, via their sort of most acclaimed record, Mirror and Darkness. I talked about uh, listening to that and how the guy behind that project, pretty much the sole contributor to that band, uh, has sort of teased that he has been like going under his solo name, Theophonos, and is going to make his own music that's a continuation of the Serpent Column's sound. And that album was released all of a sudden. No fanfare whatsoever. I just got a notification from Bandcamp that was just like, yo, it's out now. And I was like, holy shit. Uh, and it is called Nightmare Visions. Uh, it is a new album uh, from him. It is 30 minutes long. And it fucking slaps. God, fuck yes. This is, this is exactly what I wanted, exactly what I needed from Mr. Theophonos. Uh, if you are at any way inclined towards this area of extreme black metal, of mathcore, of all that kind of, you know, Dillinger escape plan adjacent shit, but you want something that's maybe a little harsher, uh, Death Spell Omega inspired, um, that as well. This is maybe one of, like, aside from his EPs, it's maybe his most compact release. It's eight songs, 30 minutes, um, and it really just does not let up it's got some of the best songs he's made uh so far maps of the future thousand imaginary swords the closer of days past is a titanic eight minute long song that is just absolutely fucking relentless i don't think it's a huge progression or a departure from the serpent column in any way it really just kind of feels like a refinement of the sound and the production style that i feel like worked best on mirror and darkness and is very much on display here the first and third record that he made under the the previous band they kind of experimented with more extreme styles of production that kind of you know sometimes it was for the better sometimes it was for the worse but it feels like he's really settled into his groove as an artist and while this doesn't depart from that in any way it continues the through line of quality the interesting genre combination and it sets a bedrock for his solo stuff that i cannot wait to see more from but as it stands this is another quality release if you want to try to get into his stuff this is not a bad place to start at all just because this is a sound that is so much that more than 30 minutes might be a big ask if you don't know what you're getting into so this is absolutely worthwhile uh and since it's you know a relatively smaller artist and a new release that's not ha doesn't have a lot of fanfare i figured i might as well shout that out uh very very good project uh enjoyed it immensely and the other thing that i've been listening to this week is that uh, uh it's it's jake's country corner because I've been listening to a to a whole lot of country, alt Americana, alt country, fucking folk, all kinds of shit. And it was mainly stirred on by the fact that the week before previously, I, it, this got cut from the segment, but Morgan mentioned listening to Jason Isbell's Something More Than Free. And I was just sitting here like, 
I still haven't heard that album. What is wrong with me? I'm so stupid. I love Southeastern so much. I love Reunions, an album we talked about on here, so much. I love, uh, you know, his records with the 400 unit in general are amazing. Nashville sound is so good. I love it. So I was like, all right, I need to finally just kind of slay this dragon. And well, more like, more like Jason Isbell and the absolute unit. I mean, that is one way you could put it, I suppose. Uh, but I I listened to it. And I was just, I I did not expect to come away thinking that this is probably his best album, at least that I've listened to. And I did listen to some of his other stuff, uh, by the way. Uh, I listened to uh, his second album with the 400 unit, Here We Rest, um, which I hadn't heard before. I still want to hear his first solo effort, Sirens of the Ditch, and the self-titled with the 400 unit, just so I can be as comprehensive as possible, because Jason's one of my favorite working artists. But Something More Than Free, this album, I mean, it was like a, a sledgehammer broke into my home and then proceeded to, to beat me to death. Sledgehammer! I wanna be your sledgehammer. Yeah, that one. Um, this album is perfect. Uh, I, I, not only do I think it's his best, I, I think that this is joined the upper echelons of Jake Cannon, just because I adore every song on this record. Eleven of the best country adjacent alt americana songs i've ever heard like i i from the moment it starts with it if it takes a lifetime an amazing song and then he hits you with that immediately after you get 24 frames it's just like hey are you a working like lower middle class american in your 20s and do you feel old and do you hate work boy do i have the song for you it's 24 frames by jason isbell and all of this album just speaks to so many experiences that i feel are like so quintessential to like the modern zillennial just like the idea of being sort of worked underfoot the idea of wanting to escape from your current situation the just the the catharsis of hearing someone else talking about these issues there's songs like the life you choose the title track something more than free is fucking devastating god bless i shed more than a few tears this week to that song speed trap town is also just some of the best storytelling jason has ever penned and it's also got songs on here that are just kind of straight bangers like palmetto rose and it ends strongly with to the band that i loved and this album is look i jason is like when people talk about in online spaces like oh you need to you know there's great country music out there you're just not looking hard enough. Jason Isbell is one of the first people that people will point to in that sort of modern scene. And I think that like Southeastern certainly is, is getting more shine as the years go by as like a modern classic record as it should. But I feel like the only person I've ever heard even remotely mention this album is Morgan. So if this, if us pushing for you to listen to Isbell when we talked about reunions or just when we all talk about how much we love an album like Southeastern, which we will talk about later this year because it's going to turn 10, 
when we push for those records, I, I want to push this just as hard. All of his records are worthwhile to some extent. Even Here We Rest, which is an album I liked. I didn't get a whole lot from it, admittedly, just because instrumentally, the, the album is, it's good, it's proficient, but it feels like instrumentally jason hasn't figured out his singular identity with maybe with the 400 unit or just as a solo artist or just like you know everything on here is tinged with a lot of very typical country music flourishes that i feel don't really add that much to jason's sound uh, a lot of like it's a lot of very good fundamental songs um great stuff on here like alabama pines and go it alone uh, and Codeine is a, a fantastic song, but just a lot of the stuff on here does feel like it has growing pains uh, for sure. So I wouldn't expect, you know, the outright excellence of his later stuff if you want to explore that earlier on. But one blind spot I had to cover since I was looking at uh, Jason's earlier stuff and just want to listen to all of his records eventually is that I finally checked out stuff from the band Drive By Truckers. And this is the band that Jason was in before he did any of his solo work or with the 400 unit. And this is another band that I feel like those same people that would point to Jason Isbell as being a great example of modern country music. This is another band that people will point to and say, hey, this is a worthwhile outfit. And I had only really been familiar with some material from their album Decoration Day, just because that was a song that Morgan had showed me very earlier on that I fell head over heels in love with that's still one of my favorite songs that jason has ever been involved with the title track on there is just again one of the most compelling musical stories about revenge ever written it's a great song but i've never listened to their albums in full and they have a lot of albums and a lot of really great albums from the looks of it too i mean i haven't even explored all of them but i listened to mainly 2003's decoration day and 2004's the dirty south and Jason's involvement with this band isn't as heavy, I guess, as you might want it to be if you're a huge fan of his. I know that he contributes like guitar playing more than anything else. Like he does sing some songs on these albums and they are certainly highlights, but it is mostly the other people in the band who shine lyrically and vocally. And I gotta say, these two albums are fucking great. Uh, I really enjoyed them both almost as much. I think I narrowly, very narrowly prefer the Dirty South, but Decoration Day is also just very like, it it, I, it might be the more consistent record, but I guess the Dirty South might have more highs. But I mean, there's just so many great sort of, you know, working class American sort of songs and perspectives here. And it also just has that nice Southern rock grit. These songs go fucking hard they are so much fun they're so like you know very derivative of stuff you might find from like you know earlier on like you know southern rock staples like leonard skinnerd for example but you know channeled into a way that feels a bit more you know thoughtful perhaps compelling and there are so many great moments on records like the dirty south that they have some vocal presences that i will admit take some getting used to like they just again they're, they're very southern the accents are full-on twangy and there's one singer on here i don't know who it is in particular but this man's vocal presence is like 
distractingly worn like this man sounds like he has had a diet of nothing but like whiskey and hot wings for the last 30 years and it sounds a little thin and brittle but he always makes it work always like his songs are some of the most compellingly written on here that's another interesting thing about it is that it's a diverse array of perspectives that are coming from all these different bandmates all these different storytellers so that it feels like a proper epic when you're listening to it it feels like a really like long comprehensive series of short stories that really build uh, a, a really consistent image that i find to be really really compelling and there's just again there's songs on here like uh putting people on the moon which is a great song about you know just the perspective of uh, you know, the downtrodden working class Americans who are basically left behind by the institutions that supposedly are supposed to care about them. Uh, the Closer, Goddamn Lonely Love is one of the best fucking songs I've heard in recent memory. Eh, great stuff. Both these albums are great. And they've also got albums like Southern Rock Opera that are supposed to be really great or Brighter Than Creation's Dark that are great. And even later albums like American Band that I want to listen to still. So I had... A great time listening to those. They're big, proper album experiences, not just, you know, an album full of songs made by some good guys. Like they they really feel like the album experience is uh, uh, the priority here. And I very much appreciate that. So I can't wait to listen to more from this band. I really like them a lot. Uh, and it's not just because of Jason, even though his guitar playing on here is fucking exceptional. But uh, the 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 other big band that was a fixture of my week is uh, we got to talking about the Gaslight Anthem because of Morgan's pick for his favorite love song. Uh, we were talking about their discography and how they have supposedly are in the studio for a reunion album, which really, really hope that gets announced soon. But I went and re-listened to things like the 59 Sound, which is fantastic. My favorite record from that band handwritten deeply deeply underappreciated album full of nothing but fucking heat oh i listened to an album from bill callahan uh called sometimes i wish we were an eagle which is oh, a shit. really great sort of i wouldn't say minimal but it is very stripped back record i think it might be produced by john congleton if i remember correctly it's got a producer on it who does some genuinely stellar work and if you're at all into bill callahan's style of like the kind of spoken singing thing that he does this is a really great example of his writing at its finest and the the fucking instrumentals on here are gorgeous i am a huge bill callahan fan and allow me to take this opportunity to recommend to you specifically uh his later work under the name small small which, which is what i originally know him from particularly the album knock knock which is one of my yes. favorite albums uh teenage <laughs> spaceship is probably you showed me that song and yeah. i adore that's like a 10 out of 10 perfect flawless amazing incredible song so i've mm -hmm. i've been meaning to get into bill callahan for a while because he's got a really comprehensive history as an artist under multiple different names so this was a great place to start i really recommend uh listening to that if you're at all interested but i think the most interesting discovery i made this week is that i listened to two separate bands that i happened to come across information from uh from someone else who's a fan of this band and learned that they were by the same person completely coincidentally i had no clue this was the case uh but that being i first listened to an album from the band woven hand and i listened to their album or i listened to two of their albums actually i listened to mosaic and their album blush music mosaic is great but blush music 
is a masterpiece. If you like the Giles Corey self-titled, you're going to fuck with this super hard because this is real shit. This is like both. It's like Giles Corey and current 93 but like the most accessible parts of both of their sounds like it's not unfriendly in the way that those projects are because this is gothic country alt country drone neo-folk kind of stuff and it is spearheaded by the the front man david eugene edwards who is a guy who is basically a, a minor legend in the americana scene because he is the front man of both woven hand and another band i listened to an album from called 16 horsepower who also have an incredibly consistent very beloved discography i listened to their debut sackcloth and ashes which is certainly more alt country it's more heavy on that kind of influence um it's you know it's a bit twangier but it has some really grand moments like the song Black Soul Choir uh, or um, American Wheeze. There's just a lot of really great classic traditional stuff on here. But it's all produced in such a way that makes it feel like it's timeless. Like the low end on these albums is fucking exceptional. The bass playing, the drums, they're loud, they're deep, they're rhythmic. It's so satisfying. But I, I, while I did enjoy the 16 Horsepower album, it was um, Woven Hands albums that really, really threw me for a loop. Blush Music in particular, because this album is fucking stunning. The whole fucking thing. It has the second song on here is a 14 minute long Bill Withers cover of Ain't No Sunshine. And it's fucking amazing. It sounds great. David Eugene Edwards has such an incredible voice it has that kind of country twang to it that you want but it also sounds more approachable and accessible he's got a voice that has like the power and melody that would you you would find in like a post-punk revival band it, it doesn't feel like it will you know you might not feel like it will work but he he just rides this line so expertly and everything about this record is just gorgeous it's beautiful it's slow it's contemplative it, it has really great sets of lyrics i i really really fucking enjoyed this and if i hadn't listened to something more than free which is the first album i've listened to for the first time this year and given a 10 i would say that this is maybe the best thing i've listened to so far this year it, it is a gorgeous record i cannot wait because woven hand has their self-titled uh, uh other albums like consider the birds uh and mosaic was excellent I, I thought that album was really good uh sort of alternating between their traditional country stuff and the more current 93 inspired ambient pieces uh uh, and that was really good as well. But yeah, I've just been been on my my hick shit this week and all of it has been great. I've enjoyed it all thoroughly. On that note, let's get into the main topic of discussion today, which is, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, our favorite film soundtracks. We've each picked two that we feel represents what we love most in terms of music. There's movies that have introduced us to music, you know, not necessarily composed for the movie, but it has existed as mm -hmm. a part of that uh, movie landscape that has left an imprint on us. And this, I think, will be a fun opportunity to talk about that music, talk about the movies themselves as well, in as much as that's relevant, and talk about why these soundtracks personally mean a lot to each of us. So, Jake, why don't you lead off with your first pick today? My first pick for favorite movie soundtracks is the, the cheatiest cheat code ever 
because it is so intrinsic to the idea and in construction of the film itself that it almost necessitates having an incredible soundtrack but seeing as uh other picks of mine were actually chosen by some of my podcast mates i had to go a little on the periphery uh here but this one was going to make it in no matter what and i am of course talking about the soundtrack to edgar wright's baby driver look <laughs> i know that it is not First of all, I am talking about the most canceled movie of all time because of everyone in it, unfortunately, which doesn't have anything John, to do. John Ham, innocent. John John Ham, very innocent. Um, uh, but no. that said, it's it, Baby Driver is a movie that's been met with a certain amount of online backlash just because people are like, I don't know, they hate cool things. But Baby Driver is a movie that centers around the protagonist who is a getaway driver uh, for bank heists and basically has like this thing where he's not entirely deaf, but at least partially and basically operates uh, solely based on like in the rhythm of the music that he's listening to. So the whole movie is soundtracked by whatever baby the main character is listening to. And Edgar Wright's movies are never lacking when it comes to great soundtracks. Like, I mean, you know, the, the classic utilization of Queen in Shaun of the Dead comes to mind. Uh, the Kinks, as a matter of fact, are also used in Hot Fuzz to great effect. Uh, I would argue just... that Baby Driver is basically, as a film, almost completely an excuse for Edgar Wright to just flex how much he loves music. The whole thing is built yes. around it. How much he loves music and heat by michael mann yes and <laughs> i love music and michael mann's heat as well and so naturally you have a 30 song long soundtrack which is a lot and you know not all of it is this like super you know immediate pop songs that you would love to to be included but that said i've listened to this soundtrack as an album so much just because it's so first of all it's great to write to it's just it fills you with that perfect amount of momentum to get shit done uh but it also just has a great variety in it you have barry white's never never gonna give you up on here which is uh a great uh by the way i do have this on vinyl uh he 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 my girlfriend yeah, is cool and mine upstairs hell yeah um you have both both deborah by beck and deborah by t-rex uh which is both both songs fantastic love, uh you I have that so much it's it's a great little joke in the movie and it's great that both of them are uh and you have stuff from you have two uh two very well chosen interludes one for the beach boys and one from blur uh which you know don't matter because they're intermissions but still it's cute that he chose them um both i i love the original version of easy by the commodores but the sky ferrera cover of it is fucking sick yeah punk bangers like neat 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 by the damned which just fucking were just you know <laughs> fucking rules you've got jazz from dave brubeck you got unsquare dance on that one uh and you got fun songs like focus by hocus pocus uh cashmere you got the of course you know the movie is named after simon and garfunkel's baby driver which is a, a classic fucking song and you have stuff like uh young mc is on this album too so it has so many different genres so many different like moods for yeah, queen is also on here bright and rock uh eternal fucking banger yeah. from sheer heart banger, attack banger, banger. it 
it just it has so much diversity so much fun within it and then you consider the context it has within the film which is this hyper edited extravaganza where everything in the movie is playing in synchronicity with all these different kinds of music which in my opinion make baby driver an easy pick for one of the best edited films ever made just because uh, the sheer impressiveness alone of how this synchronizes to like the shootout that's set to tequila is fucking amazing the 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 swagger of somebody like jamie fox at the very end where he just goes tequila so good burned into my brain forever i i love every song choice on here uh you will barely ever find a soundtrack that is a this comprehensive and b this diverse and c this fun yeah it's a very fun film with a fantastic soundtrack that when I saw it, when it came out as well, really appealed. It, it appealed to both my hipster sensibility, particularly in the the use of the Beck song, which is very heavily used. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite Beck songs in the sense yeah. that it's just pure Prince parody, but he just leans into it so hard that it just becomes absolutely in, eternally. I met you, JCPenney. Yeah. Uh, so it appealed to that side of me, which is a very big part of my personality for when, it, when the movie came out, but also just like, you know, introduces me to a lot of classic music as well. makes me yeah. remember how good songs like Brighton Rock and I think there's a Beach Boys song on there as well. Let's Go Away for a While, yeah. I think is on there. That's mm-hmm. a great song. Yeah, and there's even like a that will also appear later. And there's also, uh, I think, the the intro track from Boards of Canada's Geogetties in the movie yes. as well. Yes, which it I is. remember that was the first Boards of Canada song I ever heard. I remember noticing that when I saw the movie and just having a little like geek moment. Probably the oh saddest God. moment of all time, to be honest. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I think you know a movie that people you know have been very cynical about you know yada 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 it's kind of wound its way around i think to being maybe his most underrated movie in a strange way i think it probably is um because people have kind of come back around so hard on movies like the world's end and scott pilgrim and stuff but i feel like that has yet to happen for baby driver for reasons i can understand i suppose but you're so right about how just well oiled that movie is in just every respect it's a lot of fun um morgan your first pick for favorite soundtracks so my first pick is none other than uh the sophomore feature from uh you know a little guy in the industry you might have heard of named uh paul thomas anderson uh the soundtrack to boogie nights now on its own the soundtrack album that they released starts with john c Riley and mark Wahlberg's uh feel the heat hell yes classic um, hell yes uh, followed Here. by the emotions best of my love Chikacha's oh. jungle fever <laughs> uh, melanie's brand new key eric burden mm. and wars spill the wine marvin Gaye's got to give it up part one commodores again machine gun walter egan's magnet and steel mcfadden whiteheads ain't no stopping us now night ranger's sister christian Hell yes. Living thing. The beauty God only knows. Mm. And Michael Penn and Patrick Warren's uh, theme to the film. And then at the end, as a hidden track, is Mark Wahlberg doing You Got the Touch. You got Um, the touch. Not Marky Mark. uh, Yeah. Not uh, some songs that are in the film definitively that did not make the soundtrack for whatever reason. Uh, Voices Carry by Till Tuesday, uh, 99 Luftballons, 
banana. Mm. Did you mention Ro- the most iconic? Just I'm getting there. All right. Uh, compared to what by Roberta Flack, Boogie Shoes by Casey and the Sh- Sunshine Band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Want to Be Free by the Ohio Players. Fat Man by Jethro Tull. Yeah. Uh, Mama Told Me Not to Come by Three Dog Night. Afternoon Delight by the Starland Vocal Band. It's truly an astounding soundtrack. It's definitely, I mean, just as an album, or even just if you want to make a playlist of everything that's on the soundtrack, that's an experience in and of itself. Um, but the way it's used in the movie, what, the way each of these are used in the movie, I think this has just, I think if I were to make a like a top three list of the greatest needle drops in movies the the one and two on that list would be from boogie nights Mm -hmm. uh and i honestly i can't decide which one i like more Um, for me for me the needle drop well that's actually not my pick for me the number one is jesse's girl just that's the song that's a great one rick's rick springfield classic not just because it's a great song performed by and Alfred Molina that makes uh, Dr. Octopus look like a fucking house cat. The most dangerous man who has ever lived uh, doing doing a, re- a Rick Springfield rendition in, his, in, in an underwear in his robe. And it's just one of the greatest scenes in the history it, of the motion picture. I don't think there are a very small number of scenes, I think, that I could maybe point to that have left more of an impact on young me getting into movies than that scene. Yeah. And for that reason, both Sister Christian and Jesse's Girl, because it's both those songs that are used yeah. in that scene, are just completely etched into my brain with that context. And Jesse's Girl, which has always been a great rock and roll song, has never sounded as hopelessly devastatingly hollow and longing as it does in that long shot staring at fucking completely faded mark Wahlberg. you know when the camera's just kind of panning towards him and he's just kind of staring into space just vacantly as this whole you know scene is just kind of slowly just tumbling towards catastrophe basically that's one of the best moments in movies that 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 shot and the way the music is used there to just kind of just emphasize that how broken you know the characters are in the movie at that point i mean few movies use music the way that boogie nights does you know i'd say that boogie nights music is as essential to its core as baby drivers is Mm. Well, because it's a movie about, you know, the the passage of time w- within a very specific place in a very specific periods of history. And the music is used consistently to punctuate those periods and to, you know, echo and emphasize the shift that's going on within this particular Californian subculture, right? And so just everything, like the, the ELO's living thing, the way that comes in, a mm. Best of My Love as well, which basically feels like the movie's theme song. Uh, we, it just everything about the way the music is used in that movie feels like they are not just there to you know color these scenes and to emphasize emotions or whatever but they're almost characters in their own right within this ensemble piece right these individual songs are used in a way where they almost feel like dialogue you know they're having a conversation with the story that's going on and that's so crazy how effective that is and how well that's used and you know it's a miracle that uh 
Paul was able to like get all those songs licensed and, and make the movie the way that he was. I mean, Boogie Nights is one of the most impressive sophomore features ever made by anyone just because of the sheer scale of its cast, of its screenplay, of what it tries to do, and of the music. And everything just kind of going off and feeling effortless. And, you know, the soundtrack is like such a, a core part of that. Give me chills, man. And I look, I, I very Motor nearly... Red. Yeah, I very nearly, um, you know, it's funny, like I'm going to talk about my two picks in turn, and neither of them are probably the actual soundtrack that's left the most impression on me, which is Magnolia. And I deliberately left it out because, you know, I figured Morgan's talking about Boogie Nights, and anything I could say about Magnolia would just be the same sort of thing you say about Boogie Nights. Music's used Uh, in the same way. we need a Paul Thomas Anderson movie soundtrack on one of our lists one way or another. Man so, is good yeah. at it. Put put that put that thumb in that um Magnolia's soundtrack is basically every bit as good as Boogie Nights is and music is used in such a central way there and to the same effect as Boogie Nights. In fact, maybe it's even taken a little bit further. But um yeah, for that for a period there in the 90s and um, he's kind of drifted away from an interest in using pop culture that heavily uh, in his more recent work. Um, but, you know, for a period there in the 90s, no one was was integrating, you know, the pop culture of music and the pop culture of movies, you know, better than, I mean, I guess Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson were both doing that um, in that period. But And, yeah. you know, Scorsese. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, but he, he feels different because he's kind of just always... It is different, yeah. He's always kind of done that, and he's, yeah. But anyway, hundred percent concur. God, just stupid. Good. And you could 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 just have easily uh, included the Licorice Pizza soundtrack here. I don't think it's quite as mm-hmm. good, but I mean, but the you know I, I, the wings let me roll it needle drop in that movie yep. feels every bit as good as my favorite needle drops in Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Again, just the way it's used as well, because that you know Life on Mars. Mm. oh yeah that too mm. i just want to shout out the let me roll it needle drop because like that's like the one time where paul mccartney has felt like a genuinely sexual being um yeah <laughs> and i just loved that that paul thomas anderson not, has... the, not fucking the girl is mine <laughs> we don't or, we don't need to talk about that any further <laughs> you know um because even his love songs with the beatles his greatest love songs they're 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 sweet whereas let me roll it is like you listen to that song and you won't get it on this man fucks yeah so there's a shout out to the brief period in time when paul paul mccartney fucked and shout out to paul (laughs) thomas anderson for you know reminding us all of that for giving everyone involved a lot of cocaine all right. My first pick today properly is uh, probably a little bit unconventional um, because the music on the soundtrack is actually classical music that has been re- not rearranged necessarily, but has kind of been a lot of it has been sort of translated or interpolated or moved over to what was at the time quite modern and cutting edge synthesized technology. And what this movie does with that classical music and with this new technology is such an integral part of what makes the movie what it is. And this was my mindset going into these picks. It's not what's not just great soundtracks with great songs on it, but where the songs actually change the movie and make it what it is. And so my first pick is Wendy Carlos's soundtrack to A Clockwork Orange by Stanley Kubrick. 
the music over Clockwork Orange, you know, obviously the Beethoven stuff, the lovely Ludwig van stuff <laughs> is such a huge part of what that movie is. Um, but it's not just that, you know, Beethoven's symphonies are cited ad nauseum in that movie. It's that a lot of the time they are translated over to like Moog synthesizers and other synthesizer technology and keyboards and all that sort of stuff to make them sound truly demented, right? Like they have this eerie, you know, just uncanny First sound you hear in the movie. Yeah. It's, it's this uncanny valley thing where uh, Carlos is playing with sort of dissonance, is playing with kind of how layered these um, textures can be and how they can clash, but not in a way that feels like utter wrong dissonance, but it just feels like, you know, emotionally complicated. And of course, she did that again with The Shining as well. She was great at that. Um, but just the, the unique style of picking these pieces of classical music. And it wasn't just... Um, it wasn't just Beethoven as well. Like um, she extensively cited the William Tell overture. Uh, you think about the the sex scene, or one of the sex scenes in that movie where it's you know sped up to the William overture, mm-hmm. William Tell overture. That's just one of the funniest scenes in in any movie ever. Um, and you also have extensive citing of Rossini's The Thieving Magpie as well, one of the great pieces of classical music that is such a huge part of what that movie is. But I'll always remember the just utterly demented renditions of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and the Ode to Joy sequence in particular that are all throughout that movie that Carlos just turns from an actual expression of genuine jubilation to this completely perverted, ruined, uh, you know, interpretation and and utter like (laughs) complete just subversion of, of Beethoven's vision. Like it is, it's still triumphant. It still feels like this utter expression of sheer joy. But of course, it's and it's not just the juxtaposition of, of that music with Kubrick's acts of extreme violence, but it's the way that Carlos makes the music sound through this new technology. It already sounds fucked up. You don't need to be listening to, you know, Beethoven's Ode to Joy while you know, Malcolm McDowell is, is raping someone or having his eyes held open and, and being shown, you know, horrific images. But still, the sheer, you know, loaded intensity of the movie is just taken so far over the top with uh, what Carlos does with these pieces. It's just such a distinct and idiosyncratic take on using classical music in movies, which, you know, Kubrick had already done with 2001, but this is just something completely else, completely different. And yeah, it, it, I saw a Clockwork Orange when I was way too young to be watching a Clockwork yeah. Orange. My dad actually yeah. bought the DVD for me because Jesus you know, Christ, he's a great, he's a great parent, and I love him. And we watched it together, and we would listen to the soundtrack on. Cassette. Oh God, you watched it with your dad? Ah, uh, I was no. like, I must have been like twelve or something, and you know, and he had the soundtrack on cassette. Or some version of it anyway and we listened to it heaps and i just <laughs> it left a real distinct impression on me and um i think ha- influenced a lot of the ways i interacted with classical music maybe for a better or worse but yeah distinct memorable everything a great soundtrack should be and about six dozen other things that a great soundtrack shouldn't be but that works in the case of a clockwork orange so yeah that's my first pick i think of the favorite a lot in that sense, because that's basically all also renditions of classical music alongside the the erstwhile uh, Kubrick comparisons that movie draws as, as well. Absolutely. I mean, the, the influence <clears throat> of Kubrick, you know, obviously Kubrick's, uh, you know, unfathomably influential 
influential influential filmmaker in so many different ways but specifically the things he did with the clockwork orange that reverberated through basically any kind of social satire that anyone has ever made since that movie you know the the, the music and is such a big part of it brief shout to full metal jacket as well i think that's really like the only traditionally I mean, soundtrack listen to movie. what he did with mickey mouse in that movie like mickey yes. mouse has never been the same ever since I was just gonna say you got the classics like you got the classics like these boots are made for walking by Nancy Sinatra, Paint It Black by Rolling Stones, Surfing Bird mm-hmm. by the Trashman, uh, and the, you know, the, 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 the true debut of the of the Mickey Mouse Club March, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mouse has never been that mouse has been fucked up ever since. <laughs> they're e-bastard and i suppose i should also Jumpers. mention as well that specifically with regards to like beethoven and that era of classical music kubrick would circle back around to um playfully manipulating how that music makes you feel with eyes wide shut as well beethoven oh yeah that movie as well even from the opening scene um there's this mischievous use of, of classical music to kind of upend the i suppose high um what do you call it highbrow associations of classical music i always like the way that he's done that anyway that's my first pick jake what is your second pick today my second pick uh first of all brief shout out to one of the honorable mentions i consider for this spot that being uh the god of the needle drop cameron crow's almost famous uh because i mean duh <laughs> yeah that is one of the greatest soundtracks of all time definitely uh, indisputably that. uh it, it was close uh but my pick ended up being um one that i think is very us core for multiple reasons uh not the least of all being it's from a director we've expressed uh a lot of affinity for in the past zach and i did a video about his most recent film come on come on that being the soundtrack to mike mills 20th century women uh, which is a f- fucking amazing movie. If you have, and there's what like the like five Talking head songs on that soundtrack. Yeah, like... that's what I was getting to. Uh, we have we have uh two Roger Neal songs, which is the he's like the 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 composer of like the proper soundtrack, which is thrown in here, uh, which is great for the record, but it's not you know it doesn't technically count. But we have don't worry about the government by Talking Heads. We have uh, Media Blitz by Germs, DJ by David Bowie. We have uh, uh, Devo. Got... We have Gut Feeling. We have uh, The Big Country. Uh, and it, it there there is like this you is got kind of Cherie by what? Suicide and you've, yeah. got, <laughs> and you've got A Fairy Tale in the Supermarket by always eternally underrated band The Raincoats. This, Love and Avoid is... by Susie and the Banshees. Yeah. Uh, it's flash song in there somewhere i think yeah uh why can't i touch it by buzzcocks mm. uh like th- th- this is like the definitive soundtrack to like the late 20th century as like the 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 name kind of implies and it feels like 
again, this is a movie that's needle drops are so essential to its actual DNA as a film. It's kind of like what Riley said in how it sort of charts the progression of a period of time as this does as well. It's a bit more scattered in how it applies these things, but at the same time, it's essential to not only the identity of the movie, but I think more intrinsically the identity of its characters uh, and not just the situations they go through, but just the overall just this is a movie I would describe as a post-punk movie. Uh, (laughs) Same thing with come on, come on. It's the, these, all these visual ideas that it plays with are the aesthetics of post-punk. Like if you ask me what, what does talking heads look like other than, you know, uh, the, the, the visual album that they technically have with stop making sense. But I would imagine that their music, if it looked like something, it would probably look like 20th century women. Uh, And it's, it's just, it's delightful. It's colorful. It's full of great songs. And it's also unconventional. I feel like a lot of picks for great soundtracks, you know, we want to gravitate towards the ones that have, you know, the biggest heavy hitters, the the greatest pop songs. Uh, you know, I could have easily gone with like the, the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 soundtrack because that's a fucking cheat code because every single song on there is one of the best pop songs that anybody has ever made. Uh, easily could have done that. But here it's just like, you know, you get a David Bowie deep cut on here. It's like, when's the next fucking person who's going to put that on another uh, movie soundtrack? Fucking doubt. Or yeah, again, it's, it's, suicide. Uh, it's, doubt. It's specifically the song DJ, which I'm pretty sure is on Lodger, uh, which is yeah. such a deep cut for Bowie. Like, I mean, that's deep, the Berlin is... Trilogy album yeah. that nobody cares about. Nobody. Yeah. And I just have tremendous, again, I have tremendous respects for the Raincoats needle drop. There's a Noi needle drop mm. on here. Yeah. That is, uh, really just sort of up my alley as well. One of the best Clash songs, White Man and Hammersmith Pele is on here as well. Yes. Just a, a veritable smorgasbord of great 70s music. All right, Morgan, your second pick today. Yeah, my second pick for favorite soundtracks is... None other than a movie that got its name from the song heavily featured in it. It's Stand By Me. Amazing pick. It's difficult to think of a better summation of mid-20th century pop music than this collection of songs. I mean, you have the the titular Stand By Me by Benny King, which is a song that will outlive the end of time itself (laughs) it's so iconic when the universe explodes benny king will still be there Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there's mr lee by the bobettes rock and robin by bobby day great balls of fire by jerry lee lewis uh whispering bells by the dell vikings let the good times roll by shirley and lee book of love by the monotones lollipop by the cordettes Every day by Buddy Holly, come go mm. with me by the Dale Vikings, come softly to me by the Fleetwoods. Basically, every great the plural band yes, is yes. on the soundtrack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yakety Yak by the Coasters, Get a Job by the Silhouettes. <laughs> I mean, Get a it, Job. It, it, it's almost too much. They should have put Get a Job by the Silhouettes and Found a Job by Talking Heads right next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have some representation on our video t- in our video today for soundtracks that are just all like not even classic rock or like or like classic R and B or whatever, but just like real old school shit. 
like real classic in the Burt Bacharach <laughs> meaning of the word. Yeah, Burt Bacharach, Phil Spector, all those names, basically just the vision of pop music from before, you know. The people who inspired the Beatles. Yeah, exactly. It's such a distinct and comprehensive representation of that era of music in that film. And what's great about the use of music in, in Stand By Me is that it accentuates all this, you know, the story and the scene and the time, time and place sort of stuff, but it never takes precedence or distracts from the story that's being told or distracts from the characters that are being told in a way that some of the other soundtracks we've mentioned can do that. And, and it works in a way to accentuate the feel of the movie. But Stand By Me is such an intimate story of friendship and of these, you know, of these boys, essentially, that you wouldn't want the soundtrack to kind of really distract you from that or overshadow that in any way. And it never does. It's just always this omnipresent aspect of the environment and of the, you know, the story that's being told. But it's just so tastefully used. And you can go and listen to the soundtrack separate from the movie and have all of the feelings that the movie evokes in you come back to you independently of that story. And it's just, it's a beautiful marriage of music and of um, character storytelling. And it's just so, you know, it's the kind of thing. The the film make me do the big cry. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And if, if you have that emotional connection to the movie that I know you two do, the songs themselves will be able to have that power separate from the movie as well, because you just, you form those bonds and you form those connections. And in some cases it feels as though, like even with the Benny King song, it feels to a certain extent as though, you know, partly like it was made for that movie, you know, yeah. sacrilegious as that may sound. Um, it, that's how intimately connected the movie is to its soundtrack. And yeah, you can't, can't have one without the other by the hear lollipop by the cordettes and you just (laughs) oh i just need to mentally not just need to need to move on because if i think about the ending to stand by me ah, feelings stand by me is so like you know integrally tied to the identity of this podcast without ever needing to be explicitly mentioned in so many different ways like how you know the first single ever released by the twilight said is named after a a line from that movie yeah it's so it's so fucked up how that first twilight said album just completely feels like you know one person's very personal interpretation of basically just that movie yep (laughs) yeah pain we're all suffering how these things every go every day is exactly the closer, same going faster <laughs> than a roller day. coaster all right My... anyway let's talk about a happier movie wait wait well certainly a soundtrack that's not as dour as um well i gotta know stand by me soundtrack uh, it's like the opposite of dour <laughs> anyway my see this has joy division on it my final pick today is the one of the most iconic movie soundtracks of all time. One of the most purchased, owned, one of the highest selling, one of the most recognizable, uh, but also a soundtrack that apart from its ubiquitousness and how well everyone knows it, some often whether you've seen the movie or not, although certainly having a relationship with the movie definitely will enhance your relationship with these songs, but also just a soundtrack that I'm attached to because so much of the music that the soundtrack pulls from 
was music that I was already raised on anyway, and music that's part of a scene that my dad was very much attached to in the 90s. And uh, so a lot of the music on the soundtrack I already knew. Um, and so the soundtrack just felt like it was destined to be like a, a staple of my childhood. I am, of course, talking about the soundtrack to Danny Boyle's film Train Spotting, legendary the 1996 goat. movie, one of the great staples of British and IT's culture as well. So integrally tied to rave culture, so integrally tied to basically, you know, the 90s music scene and scenes of all kinds, both on the, you know, in the mainstream of British culture and in British subculture is to me like one of the most, one of the greatest scenes, eras of music in a particular culture ever, just certainly a, a something that I'm so deeply tied to. Um, and a lot of the music here pulls from what was going on currently in electronic music and in dance music in the 90s. You have you know representation from bands like Underworld. I mean, Underworld's Born Slippy is probably the most iconic piece of music from that entire movie. Uh, you also have Blur on, included on the soundtrack as well, Left Field, another great electronic act from that era as well. But you also have a lot of 80s stuff on this soundtrack as well. You have heavy incorporation of the music of Iggy Pop. You have Brian Hell Eno's yeah. uh, music from Brian Eno's soundtracks on here. You have Primal Scream on here with their title track uh, for the film. You have New Order featured heavily on here as well. Their song Temptation is another one of the most iconic needle drops in this entire movie to me as, along with lou reed's perfect day as well mm -hmm. like all of these all the songs on the soundtrack are just there to so heavily imbue you with the feeling of just being completely faded from alertness and consciousness and just completely swept up in you know the nightlife and the the world not just of the world of heroin addiction which the movie is heavily about as well but just the whole culture that um that that those characters existed within and it's so evocative of heroin. that yeah i mean it's a miracle that that song's not on the soundtrack to be honest yeah yeah um, they probably figured maybe, that was a bit too on the nose <laughs> yeah i was gonna say the same thing um iggy pop's nightclubbing another one of my favorite tracks on that just again such a just dirty dirty you know grimy piece of music but again i underworld's born slippy one of the songs i've spent the most time in my childhood listening to just a beautifully iconic piece of that is probably the single greatest and most representative piece of music of 90s rave culture in the uk yeah it also includes sing by blur which is like the one really great song from their debut album that's awesome to have recontextualized here so much great music on the soundtrack. Everything about it is. Um, what else do you have on this thing? Uh, yeah, you had Joy Division's Atmosphere, of course, which is just mm -hmm. like, you know, a song you don't need to have an excuse to listen to. One of the great heroine songs of all time, which is David Bowie's Golden Years, is on this as well. Golden Years. Yeah. Golden it's Years. Just such a a transportative soundtrack for me i listen to it and i'm completely taken back to my childhood and this saturation of culture that i experienced growing up because i had an incredibly you know passionate parent who was like such a part of that and but i think you don't need to have that to, to recognize the significance and the you know the iconicness and the power and the just sheer color of the soundtrack and how distinctive and, and compelling it is you know every needle drop that you hear in the movie you recognize as 
a significant piece of music in the context of this film and stays with you as something that elevates the whole experience of the film and the whole your whole understanding of the culture that the movie is basically giving you a, a crash course lesson in and you know we talked about um edgar wright's baby driver i mean edgar wright is someone who is so heavily influenced by this soundtrack and by this music that you can tell that it feeds into so much of the music that he loves and so much of what he pulls from in his own movies as well so it's a little bit of a of a tie back to you know the first soundtrack that we talked about today in a weird way so yeah it's it's great it's iconic it's everything you want a soundtrack to be it enhances the movie but exists as its own compelling body of work separate from it as well and it is one of the first soundtracks that really truly taught me what a movie soundtrack could be above and beyond just you know here's a collection of songs we used in the movie but here is an actual cultural artifact that is both tied to this film and also its own living breathing organism apart from it masterpiece i absolutely would have picked this if uh riley didn't so this was going to be on here one way or and, in fact if you right, don't have and... the train spotting soundtrack on your favorite on your list of favorite soundtracks i don't trust you and, and the thing is is that riley had to steal it from me so <laughs> yeah yeah i did because morgan originally had three picks i was like can we just do two because i want that and also i don't know if i can uh three might be too long for the video but anyway here we are those are our picks for our favorite soundtracks let us know at home what you think of our picks and what your favorite film soundtracks are what are the ones that have the most personal significance to you that feel the most iconic to you we want to hear from you in the comments below so let us know if you enjoyed this video please consider giving it a like and subscribing to the channel if you haven't done those things already they both help us out a tremendous amount if you want to go above and beyond and support us you can hit the join button and for just one dollar a month you can support the channel directly become a member of the jams and tea family and if you want to recommend us some music to listen to your recommendation will go to the top of the pile as always though folks rock over london rock on chicago capital one what's in your wallet